Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile AF, the podcast. This is episode 25 called Dara. So it's September right now, and it's PCOS Awareness Month, which is Polycystic Ovary Syndrome Awareness Month. And Dara is going to talk about her infertility journey, which includes PCOS. So the timing on that is pretty great. So in addition to her PCOS and some other medical issues that caused her to only be able to get pregnant through IVF, Dara is going to talk about how she is a registered dietitian at RMA, which is the Reproductive Medicine Associates of New York, which is a fertility clinic that I actually went to to have Sunny. So Dara is going to tell us what she does at RMA, what it felt like to be a patient at RMA while she also worked there, and a lot more. So without further ado, this is Dara's infertility story. Okay, so hi, Dara. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm so happy to talk to you. So great to be here today. Yeah, so let's start with how you met your husband and your relationship. We'll do a little bit of that backstory before we get into the fertility stuff. So funny enough, my husband and I are both from Toronto, Canada, Mm -hmm. and we met on a blind date in New York. I believe it was the summer of 2002. And um, I was still in university and my husband was working here and uh, we did long distance for a number of years. And he proposed when I, and within a month, moved to New York and got married in 2006. Okay. And have been here since. What was the blind date? Oh, we went to Bond Street. Okay. Um, Nice. I wasn't quite sure if I trusted the person who fixed us up. I, really? I wasn't quite well. She's lovely, but I wasn't quite sure she knew my likes and dislikes. Okay. Um, and so I, you know, didn't really get dressed up, wore my hair like curly frizzy. And, <laughs> you know, this guy who, uh, you know, I met him the day I met him, he quit his job in, in Wall St- on Wall Street to, to work into fashion, to go into fashion. And so I wasn't quite sure if this guy was even straight. Okay. Um, gotcha. But, uh, you know, hit it off, fell in love, and. Rest is history. Yeah. Did you guys talk about having kids like at any point before you got engaged or like? Yeah, we actually did quite early on, and okay. it was kind of even before we talked about marriage, and it kind of came up. And then after it happened, he was like, "I cannot believe we just spoke about that. Does that scare you?" And I said, "Actually, that doesn't scare me at all. I, I've always wanted to be a mother. My parents had um, my brother and myself at a very young age, and mm-hmm. always kind of saw myself wanting to have children really young." Okay. Okay, so you said in your email to me that your fertility issue started at 27. So can you talk me through that? Tell me what yes. what happened and what the chronology of So I got married at 23 and wanted to kind of have my career, finish my master's program in nutrition. Um, and then down the road around 26, 27, I was thinking, okay, I'm ready now. Uh, started my career path um, and thought it would be easy. I was yeah. young. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was generally healthy. And had trouble, you know, heard stories from my sister-in-laws who got pregnant on their first try and thought it would be a walk in the park. Started taking my prenatal vitamins like I knew I I needed Mm -hmm. to do um, and wasn't getting pregnant. Um, And took those fertility kits to, to see when I was ovulating and it was never really that regular. Okay. And that was, you know, I got off the pill and thought, okay, it's going to happen right away. 
and I always got my period, but it was never that regular. So that was kind of my first red flag. Like I always got my period, but it was whether it was every, you know, 34 days or 24 days or sometimes up to 40 days. So I thought that was a little strange and went to my OBGYN. Yeah. And uh, my OBGYN did the testing and said, you have a mild case of PCOS. Okay. Did you know anything about PCOS? Well, in school, in nutrition school, we briefly learned about it, but it was it was kind of like a passing, a passing little okay. This is what PCOS is, mm-hmm. but didn't really you know I I didn't really know that much about it, um, so it kind of started me on my journey of of looking into what it was, mm-hmm. and it stands for uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, mm-hmm. and um, now I I love it. I, I definitely have delved much deeper into it, but. Back in the day, I was like, okay, they're going to, you know, give me some medication and that's going to help deal with my PCOS and I can get pregnant. And they gave me Clomid, which is a pretty serious medication and Mm -hmm. it's supposed to help with ovulation. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we'll try for a couple of months and if it doesn't work, then we'll take it from there. Um, So I took Clomid and not really did. I didn't do a lot of research on the potential side effects Mm -hmm. of Clomid and it was pretty serious for me. I didn't feel great on it. Yeah. Uh, I was very hormonal. Okay. But they didn't really tell me like, okay, diet plays a role in it as well. So mm-hmm. at this time it was just medicine. Um, Having studied nutrition, did you, <laughs> did you know anything about that? Like, were you doing anything specific yeah. for yourself? Like, I mean, I thought I ate a fairly healthy diet. I was at a, you know, at a normal weight. I wasn't, you know, maybe on the low end of in the healthy range, but in terms of, you know, I ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you know I I did have a little bit of sugar, but I'm like, oh, I'm slim. It doesn't really matter. Right. And um, so I didn't really look into the food aspect. Flip for you know, fast forward down the road. Yeah, get into that more for sure. But in terms of you know my current state, took the Clomed, didn't feel great, and didn't see any results. Okay. And with Clomed, usually you can only do a couple rounds of it because it it is quite a serious medication. At this time, not seeing success after two rounds, wasn't quite sure what to do, a friend of mine came to the rescue. A fellow dietitian, my first friend I met when I moved to New York, Uh told me that her sister was struggling with fertility and went to this clinic that was affiliated with Mount Sinai. As soon as I heard Mount Sinai, I was I said that's going to be great because that's where I did my training mm, as a dietitian. Okay. Right. So I went to this place called RMA of New York. Didn't know anything about it. Met with this phenomenal doctor, Doctor Sandler, mm-hmm. and um, basically that was my the beginning of my. That's what I say. My the beginning of my real journey. Okay. Um, right away, right off the bat, he did a test called the HSG test. Yep. And it's to check your uterus and your fallopian tubes, uh-huh. which I'm surprised that my previous OBGYN didn't even do as right. a as a first line right. before he put me on such strong drugs, which weren't really helpful for my PCOS. Right. So up until this point, sorry to backtrack a little bit, but were you you just were having trouble getting pregnant in general, or in, had you gotten pregnant and no, nothing? Okay. Nothing. So I didn't okay. see any success. Okay. I was still getting my period every month, so and I was kind of, you know, wondering why. PCOS is pretty common in this community, but yes. just for people who might not know, and I don't know that much about it, too, what does it do? Like, what are the symptoms? Does it hurt? Like, what are what does it do to your body? So the, the thing with PCOS is, is it's such a, to be diagnosed with PCOS, it's such a wide range of potentials that you 
can have. So, you know, with a name like PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, you think you have to have cysts on your ovaries, right. but that's not the case. Okay. And that's the, the, the really strange thing. And that's why they said you have a mild form. What does mild mean? Mm -hmm. um, you have to have at least two of the following cyst on your ovaries, mm -hmm. ovulation issues where you're not necessarily ovulating normally, regularly. Okay. regularly. Um, the third thing is having a lot of male symptoms. So, you know, uh, facial hair okay. or higher testosterone levels. Okay. Um, a lot of people also with PCOS complain that they can gain weight really rapidly. Mm -hmm. But the main hallmark, which people don't know, and this is only now that I'm in the field, is uh, insulin resistance is one of the main hallmark signs mm. of PCOS. And that kind of makes sense. I have a family history of diabetes. Oh, okay. And so that's, we can get in that later, but diet plays a huge role in managing PCOS. Okay. At that time, unfortunately, I wasn't fully aware mm -hmm. um, and thought, okay, I need to go on drugs. That's yeah. part of it. But it actually the plot thickens when I went to the fertility clinic. Yeah. The PCOS was only one small part of it. Because with PCOS, there are a lot of meds that can help manage the symptoms. But my mechanics weren't working, I found gotcha. out. Okay. So did the HSG test. Okay. And what, what happened? Uh, and found out that both of my tubes were, were filled with this toxic fluid. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's very common, you know, now that I'm on the other side and, um, you know, as a dietitian working with people in the fertility world, I've heard a lot of stories of people having one blocked tube mm -hmm. or one tube that's filled with toxic fluid. I had both tubes. Okay. So the first what, thing I asked, what was the toxic fluid? I'm not exactly quite sure okay. the exact name, but, but the doctors explained to me that if I were to get pregnant, this toxic fluid would go into my uterus and kill the baby. Oh, wow. So I, the, my first question was, okay, can you just like section it out? Yeah. <laughs> um, and they can said, that sounds great. If there was one tube, we can deal with that. Mm -hmm. The fact that both of your tubes, you can't. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of a wake up call to me. Like, great, what can I do? Right. And they said, okay, this is our solution. And for me, I'm very much, tell me what I need to do to get to the to end result. It, yeah. I will do whatever I have to do to get to the end end goal. And they had said, okay, we need to do surgery. Okay. And I said, what type of surgery? And they're like, okay, we need to block off both of your fallopian tubes. And by doing that, the only way you can get pregnant is through IVF. Wow. And that was like a big, you know, that's huge. wow, that's, that's a lot. So you are still very young at this point. Yeah. Really I was, um, you know, 20, I was still 27. Maybe I started when I was 26 and, okay. and the whole journey was about, um, eight months to a year yeah. until I actually got pregnant. Yeah. And so for me, I'm a very positive person. Tell me what I need to do. Great. Yeah. I'll do the surgery. Okay. Um, I'll do the IVF, not realizing, you know, all the, all the hurdles that kind right. of would happen along the way. But I had the surgery at, at Mount Sinai. It was fabulous. One of the other doctors at RMA, Dr. Mukherjee, um, did it and it was successful. And then I was like, great, tell me the next steps. And they're like, great, you're ready to go. Um, we will give you the medications and we will start you on this IVF journey. You're young, so you probably will have great eggs. Your husband is three years older. He should have great sperm. Wonderful. No problems. No problems. Sure. So went in, did all the blood work, did my retrieval, had tons of eggs. I forget the number. It must have been like, well, I thought it was a lot, maybe anywhere from 15 to 20. Yeah. Uh, my husband's sperm was great. When it came together, interestingly enough, the embryos at that time, this was back in 2000 and I want to say 
2008, no, 2008, they didn't do all the genetic testing, but they, you know, and they also did either day three or day five, but day three was a common thing. Mm -hmm. They found out by day three, not a lot of our embryos were that great. Okay. So no genetic testing, it just wasn't a thing yet? It wasn't a thing until my second daughter, and then they did the PG. I didn't realize it was that new. Wow. I mean, at least now that I'm in the clinic, now we do it with every patient. But back then, but don't isn't that extra? Like with me, it was extra. They were like, it's five thousand dollars uh, to do the pre-genetic testing. I think they really do. They do push it. it. They do encourage it. I think because they see. I mean, I'm so happy. There's I a did lot, it. and also yeah. I think depending on age, they you know, I'm not quite sure if women are younger if they don't push it as much, especially if you're Jewish. Yeah. Um, and you know, they, they, of course they check the genetics separately, but, um, I think they do a little bit more of the, of the embryo testing if they do notice some things that may p- potentially be a red flag. Okay. So wait, why, if you're Jewish, like for people that might not. Okay. So uh, Jews, you know, there's a lot of more interbreeding over the generations and okay. you know, the, the, the thousands of years and are much more predisposed to Gaucher's disease and other similar types of, uh, Genetic abnormalities. Gotcha. Okay. Because um, of the inbreeding. Yeah. Okay. I'm happy you asked that. No, it's interesting. Um, so yeah. So um, went into IVF. Embryos weren't that great, and they actually suggested to put in three embryos at okay. the time, which okay. I thought was a lot. Yeah. I'm like, I could have had triplets. Right. But I trust the doctor. Put in three. And did you have any reservations about three? Like, did you and your husband discuss it? Well, we did have a discussion. But of course I told my daughter, I'm like, what would you do with your daughters? And he's like, we put it, I put in three. I'm like, okay, whatever you do to your daughters, okay. you could do to me. Yeah. But we were open, you <laughs> I know. I that you had that kind of a relationship. Yeah, That's of good. course. I'm, I'm, a, I'm real. I'm like, give it to me straight. Yeah. And I'm happy that he did too. Yeah. Got pregnant and thought, okay, this wasn't so hard. Like, this was pretty easy. Yeah. And uh, Fanny, we got pregnant. The, the nurses called, called my parents, called my in-laws, was so excited. Next day came back for my testing to see if my numbers doubled. Right. And my pregnancy hormones didn't. And so right off the bat, they said is, you know, but just trying to manage your expectations, you know, the, it may not be viable pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And was like, oh, wow, really? Okay. But I'm such an opti- optimist. Great. It'll be fine. Maybe we'll yeah. go up. Went back a couple days later, got it tested, and it didn't didn't go up the way they were hoping. Yeah. Was it going up at all? It was going up, but very, very slowly. But yeah. they basically said, you know, don't think this is going to happen. Oh, wow. And they call this a chemical pregnancy. Uh-huh. And for those of you who don't know, um, a chemical pregnancy ultimately results in a miscarriage. And a lot of women, this is something that I wasn't very familiar with, but of course I did a lot of research afterwards, mm-hmm. that a lot of women um, think that, you know, they get their period a little bit late that could actually be a chemical pregnancy. Okay. But they may they mistake it. Exactly. It. They may just mistake it as, oh, I just got my period late. Mm-hmm. So it is a very common thing that women have when they're not going through fertility right. issues. Right. But the fact that like here you are going in for blood work every couple of days, you're much more well aware. Right. And So is it basically like it's a pregnancy that happens, but then it's ends pr- pretty quickly? Exactly. Okay. So one of those. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's... I can't imagine when, you know, hear stories of people who, you know, hear a heartbeat and then down the road something happens or don't, you know, go, yeah. go into that and, and don't hear a heartbeat. Um, yeah, you know, it happened stories. fairly early on, 
but it was still hard, especially oh, because course. I told my parents, I told my, I think the biggest shame was the fact that I had to call my parents and my in-laws and have to tell them after I was so excited, they were so excited, um, and have to kind of be like, by the way, false alarm didn't work. Right. Yeah. That's a hard phone call to make, but you felt shame about that. Like, were you what, like how emotionally was it for you? Were you beating yourself up about it? It was, I was beating myself up because I, I'm a people pleaser and it was less about me and my husband and what we were going through and more about, oh my goodness, my parents want to be grandparents. And here I was shaming them. Here I was giving them a false sense of hope and then kind of taking that back. Even though of course, now on the other side of things, I shouldn't have been shamed. It happens. Right. Yeah. And my parents just want to be, you know, they want me to be happy. They want right. me to be healthy. And the doctors actually had a, a great way of kind of making me feel better about it. They're like, Dara, if this pregnancy went on, it wouldn't have been a healthy pregnancy. Right. God forbid there could have been something abnormal or or something catastrophic it's your body telling you that it's not meant Mm -hmm. and for me that kind of was my that click in my head that was like okay it wasn't meant yeah I'm gonna get through this this is not easy right yeah that was one point for me too that I on that same note that made me be able to wrap my head around it too was that even though you feel like your body's not doing the right thing one of my doctors said your body actually is doing the right thing because it's eliminating an unhealthy pregnancy so just like flipping the script like that, I was like, oh, okay. So then you don't feel like you're broken or you're, you know, you're like, okay, my body actually is working is doing the right way, yeah. doing something, but it's still, still so hard. It's still so at tough. any phase. Yeah. But yeah. I, it's true that the, the positive feedback and, and they also said like, look at you got pregnant. Right. And you know, that's so true. Yeah. And hearing so many stories now working with patients of, you know, hearing lots of negative things, it's, it's. Hearing a little bit of, uh, of something positive was helpful. However, I had to start from square one because none of my embryos were good enough quality that none of them were able to be frozen. Okay. So that was a, you know, a tough thing. Like, great, back to square one, right. back right. to the injections. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's a lot on your body. Right. And right. Um, that's... So how long before you started the second cycle? So got... You know, my chemical pregnancy in July, and it was, took about two, three months, and we started back up again, I believe, end of September, early October, and this must have been in 2009, is when I started again, uh, second round, same thing happened, three embryos were put in. Okay. This time it worked, and one took. Okay. And nine months later, my first daughter, Allegra, was born in July. Yeah. So how was the pregnancy? And and also, sorry, another question. Did you feel, you put in three, hoping that at least one take, did you feel like a sense of loss that it wasn't more than one? Or were you happy to have one or like... That's so funny that you mentioned that. Um, I had always growing up thought that I would have twins. Uh-huh. And I kind of always secretly hoped that I'd have twins. Yeah. Do um, twins run in your family at all? Twins or? did run in my family. Yeah. Um, more distant cousins, but like there, I thought there was still, you know, some way of, and I'm like, right. great, I could do it once. Knowing that actually I had to do IVF to get pregnant, I was like, wouldn't it be great if I could just do it once and be done with it. So that was kind of a a, a tough thing when I, you know, when I first heard, but kind of a rewind, 
I was a high-risk pregnancy. So in some ways, I was happy that I had one. I had HPV when I was younger. And so I had to have two rounds of leaps. And those are procedures to get rid of a potentially cancerous cells in my uter- in my cervix, on my cervix. Oh, wow. So basically they do this procedure. It's called the leap where they like scrape the, the cervix to get rid of those potentially precancerous cells. So I just had a pap smear. It went, came negative. Okay. And that was how I knew I had HPV. And they had to have two surgeries to get rid of them. Okay. But because of that, my cervix was shortened And that put me already at a a potentially high-risk pregnancy. Why? Because as your baby grows in your body, um, it could, you know, push down. And if your cervix is really short, you can actually go into preterm labor. Oh, okay. So, you know, that was another round of stress of like, okay, great. I'm, I'm, you know, over the the hump of one hurdle. Next hurdle is okay. I want to keep this baby in me. Right. So had... um, an amazing OBGYN practice, Dr. Andrew Kramer and Dr. Lanskowski and the, and the team, they were absolutely amazing. I went in every month, became my buddies with them. And, um, you know, they, we, we already had like a protocol in case, like an emergency plan that okay. they would have to sew my cervix up to keep the baby in. Yeah. I didn't have to go through all that. Okay. And my first baby was born a, a week late. I had to be induced. Oh, wow. So, okay. um... And then how was like your nutrition and all that during your pregnancy? Was there anything being an expert in that field? Well, I'm happy you brought that up because I have PCOS. And this is like, again, all like after the fact, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a little research on PCOS. I knew it had to do with insulin resistance. That means that when you eat sugars, your body produces insulin. When you have insulin resistance, your body is not, your insulin's not working as efficiently Uh um, as it should. And over time, if you're eating too much sugar... Mm -hmm. And your insulin can't work well, that could ultimately lead to diabetes. So here I'm like, I'm pregnant. I'm a dietitian. I should be healthy. This is going to be easy. I'm going to, you know, gain the the recommended 20 to 35 pounds. I'm going to be fine. Sugar tests come back. I fail the first round. Oh, wow. So what happens is you take this this horrible sugary drink and they let you know if you pass. I if remember you that don't, drink. Oh, oh, like it goes so against my whole belief system of like literally drinking. And it was an orange drink. I'm like, this is, has red dye 40 in it. Why yes. should we be drinking this? Especially when we're pregnant. Yeah. Um, and found that I had to do the second round, which is like a concentrated version of that sugar. Oh, wow. Okay. And I did pass that. So I didn't end up getting gestational diabetes, but it kind of was a wake up call to my health that just because I'm at a healthy weight doesn't mean that I shouldn't be taking better care of my diet. Mm, Okay. And it kind of made me realize that for the rest of my life, I need to be very mindful of any time I eat carbohydrates or sugar, Uh I need to be mindful of how much I'm having, Mm -hmm. the timing, and then I always need to pair it with a, a source of protein. Gotcha. Okay. So that's which seems like how everybody could should everyone should be eating eating protein at every meal. It helps stabilize those blood sugars and prevent the highs and the lows. Um, So that kind of helped me also in my career path, which we'll talk about down the road. Yeah, but um, yeah, and then I got uh, pregnant the second time around. Started again from square one. But the interesting thing I actually want to take a step back is got pregnant with my daughter Allegra. They sent me on my way the day they sent me on on my way to my OBGYN. 
I was thinking, I don't want to leave this place. I had such a great experience at RMA and I don't know what came over me, but I told my doctor as we were finishing up, I'm like, you guys need to hire me. <laughs> you guys need me on staff. Yeah. Did I, they have a nutritionist at that point? I don't know of any not dietitian on staff. Or dietitian, I'm yeah, sorry. That's okay. Nutri- I still call myself a nutritionist, okay. dietitian. but um, a dietitian is someone who just goes to extra schooling and okay. it's a degree, okay. it's, a, it's a little further training. But um, I didn't know of any dietitian who worked at any fertility clinic. Mm-hmm. And I'd always taken a liking to working with women mm-hmm. um, and general health, um, and especially, you know, uh, prenatal, perinatal, postnatal nutrition. And I was like, this is like, this could be my market. And I, I was bold. I'm like, you guys need to hire me. (laughs) And you know, three months later, uh, started working there and have been there now almost nine and a half years. So this was after your second pregnancy or my first, first? my first. So then you went through it again at RMA while you were, while I was working there. So I basically was on the other side. Do you give a discount? Uh, (laughs) I wish I didn't at all. No. And I also like, I also wanted to be very professional, like, right. No, you know, not looking at my charts. I kind of wanted to be like, okay, I'm, I play two roles. I'm a patient here. Okay. And I'm also a professional who can now help people on their yeah. journey and make them at least feel like they have control and confidence over something. Right. Right. Can we talk about the second pregnancy yeah. more? And your second cycle or your so my, was, how many cycles? So you did I did two with my first daughter. So right. the first one had the chemical, then, then got pregnant. Okay. I also wanted to talk about, they, they changed my cycle up with my second and my third. They hyper-stimulated me. Oh, really? Okay. So I wonder if that maybe played some part of a role with my chemical, which I don't think it fully did, but um, they gave me different medications with, with Allegra and it worked. Uh-huh. Um, so they did the exact same protocol with my second daughter with Bardot. Uh-huh. Um, I put in two this time, okay. which again, that this time I think freaked me out a little bit more. I'm like, okay, I always had a, a vision of, I'm going to have two kids and I'm done. Yeah. And the, you know, the prospect of potentially having to the second time around, right. you know, was it was a little bit worrisome. Interestingly enough, when I got pregnant, my numbers did go up dramatically high. So they kind of did warn me, like, by the way, you could be pregnant with twins. Okay. And then I, you know, that sunk in. I'm like, okay, I could do this. Yeah, whatever, whatever happens. the plan is, I could handle, I could take. And I did find out that uh, the numbers normalized. And it's weird. Like I I wonder if I was pregnant with twins and had a loss. Yeah. Do you, and there was no way to know that? I never really spoke to the doctors about that. And I did have like a little bit of bleeding, mm. but you know, a little bit of bleeding could be normal. Right. Um, I still do. There's something inside me that, and I, I've told my daughter, my little one, I'm like, I think you could have been a twin. And she's still kind of like deep down is like, I could have been a twin, like makes her unique and makes her yeah. feel kind of cool and special. Yeah, for sure. In that way. Yeah. But the second road was a little bit, um, a little bit easier. Okay. Still not easy because you have to start from scratch. You still yeah. have all those hormones in you. But uh, at least I kind of had a general idea. And also working with patients for that year. I waited a year until I started trying again. Kind of gave me a little bit more insight and, and made me feel a little bit more calm going into it. Like if it doesn't happen the, the first round. That's okay. Right, right. So I'm sure also you having gone through it yourself has made you a better professional in the sense that you can relate to these people. So let's talk about that. Tell me, so 
basically you are now a dietitian for RMA, which is the fertility clinic that you went to, and you've been working there for how many years? Nine and a half. Nine now. and a half years. Okay. And what's your what's your like day today? So I meet with any patient who asks questions about food or or supplements to the nurses or the doctors. Okay. So that's kind of like the baseline. Like anyone who has interest, learning are there any foods that I can do to help um, my chances. Um, what supplements do I need to take? Right. Um, you know, do I need to be eating my pineapple core? Right. I do want to ask you about that. So is there like a basic protocol or like a basic yeah. kind of diet? Like, can you talk us through For an sure. example of that? I mean, obviously everybody's different, but what are the general nutrition and diet things that people should know yeah. if they're, you know, having trouble with infertility or they, they're newly pregnant? So for me, it, I tell everyone off the bat, there isn't a specific food that's going to get someone pregnant. Mm-hmm. And all of our journeys are all It would be so unique. nice if there was, Wouldn't it right? be great? Eat these here, Twinkies. <laughs> take, well, also, I could like be in a great business. Like, right. here, I'm going to... This bar. I'm, or I'm going to work with the pineapple company. Yes. And I'm going to invest lots of money and make my own, you know, yeah. stand to give to, to, to patients as they leave. But no, for me, it's a generally healthy diet. And I feel that's the hard part. People want, like, tell me what I need to do to get pregnant. And for me... I, I, I tell p- patients, for me, it's trying to eat foods that nourish your body. A general arching. Try, and this is nothing crazy. Mm-hmm. It's eating fresh fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. choosing whole grains when you can, having a lot of great healthy sources of lean protein throughout the day, not skipping meals. But it's not just about food. So I do talk about the food component, adding in Foods that are high in calcium, foods that are high in omega threes and folate, making sure that your omega that your prenatal has vitamin D in it, mm-hmm. which is also great for fertility. But it's also just leading a healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So if you're not sleeping well, that plays a larger role, I think, than what you're eating. Mm-hmm. So you can eat all the healthy foods in the world, but if you're not getting enough sleep. Mm-hmm. You're going to bed two, three in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you're drinking way too much coffee. You're having way too much alcohol. Mm-hmm. You're not doing things that make you feel good and happy. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's the mind body connection. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's and stress too, right? Like that has a huge stretches. Is, is stress it true? Is I've heard that the number one cause of cancer is stress. I wouldn't I mean, be surprised. I don't know if there's any quantifiable well, evidence where you, you can know. really, but it all that go- makes sense to me. It totally makes sense for me. It all goes back to your cells. You want to make sure that your cells are thriving. Your mm-hmm. body is composed of cells, and you know you want to feed them and nourish them and do things that help make them be as viable as possible. Right. When you are taking taking toxic substances, um, you know whether it's through the environment, through food, through lack of sleep. All those things, and through stress in your day-to-day routine, mm-hmm. if you're not happy at your job, if you're not happy with your relationships, mm-hmm. that all plays a big role. And right. those are the things that are somewhat more modifiable. Right, right. Whereas, like, for me, okay, my my mechanics weren't working. I had to go through IVF. But at the end of the day, I could still eat really healthy and sleep and try to work on my relationships and friendships and um, sleeping schedule to mm-hmm. at least optimize mm-hmm. The cycles. Okay. So there's no real magic foods, but let's talk about, there's a couple of foods I want to ask you about. Yeah. First being the pineapple core. So this is a thing. Crazy. You yes. tell me, you tell me from I'll tell you the whole reason behind this pineapple yes, core thing. Because I ate it and I believe that. Did it, you like it? Yes. Number one? Well, no. 
That well, we, that's the thing. This is what I always go back to. If you don't like, I like something, it, it worked for me. And okay, I, so it works. Or at least but I think it did. For me, I always say, if you don't like something, don't eat it because the displeasure of eating something mentally, I think, is worse. So if you're eating something and it gives you pleasure, keep eating it. Yeah. In moderation, of course. Right. But um, <laughs> the reason why people like pineapple, or the reason why pineapple has gotten this, you know overarching hope of like promise of helping with fertility is that there's bromelain this enzyme that's in it Mm -hmm. and this enzyme potentially has anti-inflammatory properties and can be a great blood thinner and those are all could be great things for creating a healthy egg a healthy uh, female environment Mm -hmm. however as as i'm not sure if you know but we're much more complex beings than that. And there's so many different parts that come together that can make a a cycle successful. Right. If, if, if that mentally makes you feel good, eat it by all means. But if you're having it way too much, that's probably in lieu of something else that can also be great for your diet. But isn't there a specific time that you're supposed to post transfer? They say you can have it. Um, but I'll tell you, I am such a science geek show me the research. If there's research to back that up, by all means, yeah, that's great. But yeah. until we have great, credible research to show that, and more than just one research study, right. we need to be doing lots of them. Right. Um, so you haven't what, really seen research no, on that? and that's the hard part. Like, and that's what makes me so sad in general with nutrition when it relates to fertility is we need to do more research out there. So I, I always try to push dietitians, go into the fertility world yeah. so we can all put our heads together, our research caps on, and really try to see what's working and maybe what's not working. Right, right. And until we see that... okay. Try to live a fairly healthy lifestyle. Right. Now, my other thing I want to ask you about that I see on our, my infertility like Instagram account now. Yeah. A lot of people eating McDonald's french fries. What? Have you seen this? No, I have oh, not. Oh, you haven't? I think it's the same kind of thing. It's like post... It's post... Well, there's salt in it. I wonder if there's salt in it. post-retrieval. Because people say, you know, Gatorade. But that something is about so where funny. I keep seeing people with, like, I got my fries, and I that wasn't a thing. I love McDonald's French fries, so well, I wish and, I would have known. Until I but, kind of read more into, like, read more up on that. Okay. It gives you pleasure, mental sure. pleasure, and it, it tastes yummy and delicious and crispy, so yeah. why not? Right. My only thoughts of, like, maybe the science behind it is... You know, a lot of um, a lot of these fertility clinics suggest taking some Gatorade post um, post transfer. No, post retrieval actually to um, help with your electrolytes, so you're not also um, overstimulating your ovaries uh-huh. um, and preventing hyperstimulation. But uh, to be honest with you, I've never heard this French fries. Oh, you craze. have it. If it if it makes you feel great, wonderful. Still as a dietitian, I'm like just go for a handful. That's right. All. You know, <laughs> you eat and, and eat it with maybe just the burger without the bun, without so you bun, won't yeah. spike your blood sugar levels. Right. Exactly. Um, but that is super funny. Okay. Are there any other things that you've come across in your day to day, like? urban myths or like things that people ask you about or I, I hear a lot about teas you know what teas I should be having I heard this tea's not good I hear that tea's not great and like every time I always go back to try to not do anything in excess mm-hmm. um and if you're not quite sure and if something sounds too good to be true it probably is mm-hmm. um and I think that if it gives you more stress having it don't do it mm-hmm. if it 
kind of makes you feel less stressed by all means. So a lot of the, you know, I'm definitely more Western medicine, but I'm always very curious with the Eastern medicine realm and I'm open-minded to it, you know, going for the hot foods and the warm foods. Mm -hmm. I always tell patients, do you like warm foods? Mm -hmm. If you like them warm, have it, have a soup every day, have your, your water warm. Great. If you don't like it and you're not going to be drinking your water right. or having your liquids and you're only going to have it if it's, you know, a little bit colder, go for it cold. Right, right. It's the same point of view. When I was pregnant with my daughter, 2009, my doctor was telling me, you know, if you, obviously you don't want to drink a lot of alcohol during pregnancy, everyone knows that. But my doctor at one point said, you know what, if you're going to be really stressed out, if you're at an event have and you can't have wine. a glass of wine... Oh. The stress of not yeah. having the wine can be more harmful than yes. the actual glass of wine. So he said, have the glass of wine. And I was like, I will subscribe to that theory. That Thank is you. totally crazy. My OBGYN, when I was probably 38, 39 weeks pregnant, I was having trouble sleeping. I'm like, I'm have, I feel pretty good general, generally, but I'm not. I'm having trouble sleeping. And I remember my doctor clearly saying, have a glass of wine. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I, can, I tell my patients they should never even have, like, you know, once you're pregnant, never. And I'm like, and I also get drunk off of a half a glass. He's like, have a full <laughs> glass of wine because you're really stressed. Yeah. Which I think it's so funny that this general rule, but even patients ask me all the time too, like, can I have a glass of wine through, throughout the fertility process? And I say, you know, if it helps decrease your stress levels, right. have it. Again, I'm going to say have two glasses of water and maybe eat some protein before right. you have it. But if it's going to help and it's part of your routine, yeah. why not? Right, right. So I guess the, the gist of this is there really is no like magic food. There's no magic subscription, <sighs> prescription. I think that, but what you said earlier was so interesting because I can so relate to that. It's like people just want to say, what do I need to do? Just give me X, Y, and Z because there's so many different ways you can go through this journey and these stories and like, there really isn't a right answer and everybody's so different. So I guess it would be nice if there were like one I thing. Wish. Like, right? I wish. Like for me, it makes me so sad because people kind of are looking for that answer and yeah. here, wow, there's a dietitian. Maybe food is, is the root that's going to really help. Right. That's going to answer all my problems. And for me, it's trying to nourish your body yeah. and eat the foods that number one, make you feel good yeah, and trying to like do that. things in balance. But if there is like one thing, it's not necessarily a specific food, but protein. I think as women, okay. we typically are afraid of protein. That doesn't mean meat. You don't have to start going, right. and, you know, eating your burgers and your, and your steaks, but really trying to get a source of protein at every single meal, just yeah. because our body really does work well with, with protein sources and it sure. could come from vegetarian or vegan sources like quinoa uh -huh. um or it can come from eggs which are my favorite thing in the world go eat the yolks i love eggs. fish and don't be afraid of fish yep wild salmon a little bit of of grass-fed red meat is okay uh -huh. and hormone organic uh, hormone free organic chicken is fine as well uh -huh. but protein i think that's something that we often lose sight of yeah. uh, on a day-to-day -day basis yeah what about supplements Great. So supplements, I'm not a big supplement person or, or prescriber because I like to talk about food. But number one thing going into a pregnancy or wanting to get pregnant, even having that idea, start with a prenatal vitamin. Take it. This is what most people don't realize. Take a prenatal vitamin after a meal. Not an empty stomach, not mm -hmm. first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. Your body needs some fat to absorb it. Mm -hmm. So take it after. I like taking it at the end of the day when I'm brushing my teeth. So keeping my prenatal vitamin next to my toothbrush is kind okay. of like a good way to remember. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, if you're, a prenatal vitamin should have omega-3s in it. And that fish oil, 
you know, you can burp up. If you're taking it at night, you're going to sleep. You're going to burp it up in your sleep. I've heard that you should take vitamins actually at night. Is that part of the reason why? That is part of the you reason. Because like you have like a meal. During You've the had, day. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And there's, there's fat-soluble vitamins in it, A, D, E, K, omega-3s, and those require fat to optimally absorb. Okay. So that's just a good time of the day. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, people who experience, you know, some nausea or, you know, some other side potential side effects, mm-hmm. if you're sleeping, you, you won't be feeling those things. Okay. Okay. But besides that, prenatal vitamins, make sure there's some vitamin D. If not, perhaps 1,000 to 2,000 IUs of vitamin D also with food. Okay. Um, but besides that, um, unless you have, you know, some, um, if you're anemic or if you've been told that you are low in something, yeah. uh, I'm all about getting your vitamins through food. Okay. Tell me about some of the patients that you've worked with that you feel like you've had a really good impact on or any stories that have yeah. kind of stuck with you that make you really happy that you're doing your job? I mean, especially the last year, I've had some great stories. So besides women who just kind of have a general, want a general idea of what they should be eating going into fertility, I see women that have PCOS mm-hmm. that need to make sure that their blood sugars are stabilized before going to a fertility treatment. Um, I work with a lot of women with BMIs that are above or below. So people who are underweight and people who are overweight, obese, morbidly obese. Uh And a a lot of people don't realize that if you're going through a fertility treatment, you actually can't go under anesthesia to get, you know, your egg retrieval um, and be put under unless your BMI, your body mass index is below 40. Okay. So I see any woman who has a BMI of above 40, they okay. come to see me to try okay. to get their weight down. What's like an average BMI? So like what you should, want your range? BMI, you want it to be between 18.5 okay. and 24.9. Okay. So I see people, you know, the the overweight is 24.9 to 29.9 mm-hmm. and then over 30 is is obese and, okay. um, and then beyond that is morbidly obese. So okay. I um, see those women and it's just great to see. I recently saw a, a woman who came in with her husband and I love, you know, when they come in as a couple, I know they're extra motivated because right. they're working together as a team and she's like, I, I've tried everything. I um, you know, I have PCOS and I've tried everything and I just can't seem to lose weight. And, um, and she was also, um, Orthodox. So I wanted to work within or Orthodox, religious, Jewish, and wanted to work within her, you know, day-to-day routine, her routine over the Sabbath. And I mean, she was wonderful. She worked super hard, um, working to, to eat more protein in her diet, working to, to make sure that she paired her carbohydrates with her protein, lost, I believe it was like 35 to 40 pounds Mm -hmm. in the span of about six months. Mm -hmm. And I just found out about four weeks ago that she was pregnant. Wow. And um, I'm still going to be working with her throughout her pregnancy. But I mean, that for me was such a... uh, So rewarding. Such a reward. Um, And then I've worked with a lot of women with thyroid conditions as well. Okay. Because that's another uh, food fertility related issue that I see quite often, either an underactive thyroid, mm-hmm. an overactive thyroid. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've seen quite a bit of success uh, changing their diet, perhaps cutting back on their gluten, going on a gluten free diet, or okay. minimizing their, their dairy intake. And I've seen success with that. Mm-hmm. And that's been another great help. And then I've also worked with a woman with an eating disorder mm-hmm. who was considerably underweight. And uh, worked with her probably almost a year. 
to try to get her weight up mm-hmm. and got her to a, uh, you know, got her through a unsuccessful first round and then second round got her pregnant and worked with her throughout her pregnancy. And she, she has a kid now and oh, I've wow. seen her on the okay. other side, which is for me also the most rewarding is seeing throughout her entire journey. Right. Absolutely. So you get to know these clients, these patients. Yeah. And it must feel so great when it does all your hard work and their hard work. It's really their hard work. You right. know, for me, I'm their motivator and right. I'm there to encourage them and to also kind of bring in some positivity throughout this. Right. And I think that's the key theme is that, yes, there's a lot of things throughout all of our journeys that can be really negative and really hard. But if we kind of try to be positive and see the good that potentially that can come out of this and trying to have a good support system. Mm-hmm. And if I could be that support system, mm-hmm. that's great. Be mindful of the research that you do out there in terms of the Googling that that kind of, you know, I'm sure we've all heard it before. It, it can get you down that black hole and try to, if you are going to do research, try to make sure it comes from a credible resource, but going, you know, listening to podcasts, hearing other people's stories, connecting, whether it's on Facebook, um, you know, different forums. We have a great forum at RMA that can, um, you know, kind of connect people and, you know, reaching out. And I think it's great nowadays that people are so open to talking about it. It shouldn't be something that's shameful. Um, We all have a unique journey, but kind of listening to other people's stories and asking questions to those people. Um, it never hurts to keep on asking if something doesn't feel right, keep on doing research, keep on asking questions, find that great support system and know that your journey will have that answer. It may not be the, the journey that we had, you had envisioned, exactly, but you will find that answer sooner or later. And it will be your unique, wonderful, hopefully, experience. Right. And I have to say full disclosure, I'll say this in my intro too, but I went to RMA and I loved it. Yeah. And Dr. Joshua Klein was my doctor and he was amazing. So I had a really good experience there. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad we got to connect and congratulations on your girls. Thank and you. I love that too. what you're doing. Obviously you're clearly so passionate about it and that comes through, but I love that you're you're just helping people really every day and that's that must feel really good. So Thank you. (laughs) Of course. It's my favorite job in the world. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else. Hey again, guys. So thank you so much to Dara for sharing her story and for also being so educational. I feel like I learned a lot just from talking to her and I hope you guys did too. It blows me away just how different everybody's stories are. Every week, I'm just continue to be blown away by the breadth of stories and journeys that people have. So thanks again for listening. Thank you for passing it on to your friends. We have so much more good stuff coming up. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. And I will talk to you next time.